Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, it's a good morning. We're, uh, we are, I'm excited that we are winding down our uh, series in, in Peter this morning. Uh, and I, I think I've told y'all before, I don't like long sermon series. Uh, and so, um, I, I, uh, I like it when they're over and it's time to change to something new. Um, and so I'm excited about that this morning. Also, hey, if this is your first time here, uh, with us at Tri-Cities Church, welcome. I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I would love to meet you when church is over. I, I'm usually in the back and would love to just meet you, shake your hand. Also, uh, we got these cards in the seats in front of you. And uh, whatever information you feel comfortable sharing, name um, or email or whatever. And also, if you want to be on our email list or um, want to know more about city groups or different things, it's on those cards as well. Uh, So we just love to know that you are here so we could be praying with you and for you. Also, you can fill out prayer requests on the back of those cards. And we love to uh, join with you in whatever you are uh, going through in life and whatever you're praying uh, uh, about and also to see God work um, uh, miracles and victories in your life with the things uh, that you've been uh, praying with your church through. And so we'd love to be a part of that, that way, a part of your life in that way. All right, uh, so we've been in this series. We're looking in First Peter. We're going through the entire book. We're in chapter 5, beginning chapter 5. Next week will actually be our last week in this series. And what we've been looking at is the way Peter is challenging the believers to not just believe, but to be something. Right? And so uh, the, the life of a believer isn't centered around this ideal of I've um, made this kind of mental ascent. I've arrived at this place of believing the right thing. Um, but how does that now change the way I live my life every single day? And uh, we've talked about it with the church in the first century. They were really feeling the weight of that life change because uh, it made them so odd, oddly different than the world around them. And, and I think we as a church today in a setting where, and I've been saying this for the last several weeks, but in a setting where we get so comfortable, right, in, in, a, um, in a society that is predominantly Christian, right, we get so comfortable in, in, uh, in, in, in doing church um, that, that oftentimes we miss out on opportunities for us to be the church, to actually live out our faith in a, in a more serious and radical way um, that brings about, uh, um, I don't know, it brings about hardship, not, not necessarily uh, the persecution that we don't, we don't want to pursue. There's been a few people um, that I've witnessed, believers that I've witnessed in my life, and it felt like they were they were looking at the new the, the New Testament church, and they were saying, I, "I don't I don't feel right not being persecuted for my faith." And it felt like they were pursuing persecution, um, like doing things in order to be persecuted, in order to feel like they've been faithful. But I think that our lives should look so strangely different, peculiar from the world around us, um, that sometimes we might be persecuted as a result of that. And even it will be a challenge inwardly to continue to press into uncomfortable spaces because of our faith. And that's what Peter's been challenging us to do in this series. And so this morning, we're we're, uh, winding down. We're in chapter 5. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to, um, um, to, to, to begin wrapping up this important book for the church, where we've seen that the early church uh, suffered so uh, difficultly for their faith, that they went through uh, uh, un- unimaginable trial and hardship and struggle 
all the way up to the point of shedding blood and death in, 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 um, in response to living a good life and placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and God, none of us want that for ourselves. None of us, none of us want bloodshed and death for ourselves. None of us want the kind of pain that they experienced for ourselves. But God, I just pray that uh, this morning, as you've done before, that you'll continue to plant within us a heart that wants Jesus more than anything else and wants the way of Christ more than anything else. And so if the way of Christ leads to uh, blood and persecution and death, God, may we say, uh, may we say yes, yes to Jesus. And so please help us, God, as we... Um, as we explore these scriptures this morning, um, that we will be a people that say yes to you. So your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this this week, as I was uh, as I was reading through the scripture that we're in uh, uh, studying this week, I was thinking, you know, the, the church didn't begin as the church as we know it, right? The church didn't begin as the church. In other words, when Jesus uh, began his ministry and he called these disciples, there were 12 of them. When he called these disciples, these 12 disciples and said, hey, come follow me, leave what you're doing, come follow me. He says to, to the fishermen, I'll make you fishers of men, right? But he's saying, hey, leave your past life, follow me. He, he didn't like, um, he, didn't, he didn't break out his moleskin uh, notebook and, and then show them the, or pull out his iPad or whatever, uh, Evernote and show them his five-year plan for the church, right? That, it, that in year three, we're going to have a uh, uh, hundred people with us. And, and by year five, we're going we're to purchase our first building, right? And then uh, um, by year 10, hey, we're going to split off. We're going to start another church, right? We're planning another. It, like, he didn't have in mind this building-centric church um, that the church has come to be today. This community of people that rarely see each other, have distant connections with each other, but see each other inside this building, right? Uh, and, th- and this is the church. Church, right? He didn't. He didn't. He didn't have that in mind, right? He didn't have in mind this event-driven, this program-centric church where it was, hey, we, we're going to throw this uh, cool pool party and we're going to get together as a church to do this, right? He, he just didn't have that that in mind. Rather, what we see in the in the New Testament playing out as the church began to develop of. It was a people that were committed to a movement, rather, of, of people that were committed to the pattern and principles of Jesus. They saw how his life was being lived out. They believed that he was truly living out the life that God created us to live, that his teachings were in line with the teachings of, of God, and they began to follow him. And so we see this movement of people that were following Jesus, and as that movement grew and expanded, they began to form communities that were known as the church. And so you would have churches in different, uh, in different neighborhoods and communities on different streets. But it wasn't this, it wasn't this idea of a church that we've, that we've planned out so that it could become something and plant itself in a building in a neighborhood and, and have programs that we invite people to. Rather, it was a people that were so, um, they were so sold out for what they heard Jesus teaching. They were so deeply overwhelmed with belief and their lives as they lived them out were so strange and odd to the world around them and so radical in the way that they loved other people that, that, um, that it, became, um, it became clear as day that I can't live this life that Jesus is calling me to live on my own. That that was impossible. 
And somehow today we've come to the belief that, hey, we can be disconnected from the church, the community of believers, and still live faithfully. Faithfully, But the early church, they, they took their faith so seriously, and they had this firm grasp of the radical life that God was calling them to. They knew that they could not do it alone, and so there began to spring up this, this church, these churches, right, that were in different communities of people that gathered. They sang songs of praise to God. They encouraged one another. They studied the apostles' teaching, and they grew in the, in the, um, the way of Jesus Christ. Now, they, they saw themselves as, um, although, although there were small house churches, and, and uh, in, in Atlanta is kind of odd because we, I mean, we're, we're in the land of like mega church, right? This is mega church territory, churches with thousands and thousands of people. Um, the, the early church was, was um, comprised mostly of house churches, churches that met in people's houses or out on the streets and communities of people that, that gather. And I'm not, um, I'm, not, I'm not in any way dissing uh, megachurches or even the former church that, that we have today, because that, that would look odd to first century believers as, as well. Um, but it just hadn't evolved to, to this point. But they saw themselves very clearly as a community that was charged with the responsibility of telling people about what they had come to believe and invite them to become a part of what they believed. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 28, there's a scripture that's just kind of a, um, a classic uh, uh, with, with the church or within the church. Matthew um, chapter 28 is often referred to as the Great Commission. I'm going to begin reading verse 16. It says, then the 11, this is after, sorry, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and this is kind of like his final instructions to his disciples. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, right? That's, uh, I, 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 that's kind of a neat, neat verse right there. Um, um, not, not neat in the sense, well, cool is some people were doubting Jesus. That's really neat. Um, but but it's, it's encouraging for us, right, when we have questions and doubts in our own life that these disciples that saw Jesus hanging on a cross and were certain of his death and see him again, and some doubt it. That, that, it it's, it's odd, but it, it shows the difficulty of faith. And so if faith is easy for you, um, Maybe we're not fully grasping what it is. But so it says some doubt it. All right. So that, that was not the point. I just had to pause there for a second. Uh, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. And so he challenges his disciples. He calls them, instructs them to go and make disciples of all nations. So this early church, though it was small and they were very much in the minority, they saw themselves as a growing, uh, expanding uh, community of people. Now, the church has evolved uh, um, incredibly from that point, right? Now there's churches of all kinds of shapes, sizes, styles, denominations. I mean, the church has split. The church has turned into to something that is, that is much more complex than it was in, in the first century. In fact, this tendency or, or this, this reality shapes our tendency, right, to shop for a church almost like we shop for a shirt or for shoes, right? We want one that fits us right, that feels good, that meets my needs. And so we 
have this tendency within us to shop for everything because there's options with everything we're looking for, right? It's not like you go to the store and it's store, sure. It's not like you go to the store and, and there's only one shirt, one color, right? It's not like wearing a uniform to school or any of that, right? There's all these different options in our society and it has trained us to shop for what meets our needs best, right? And so we've, we've, um, we're now living in a society where we treat church that way. Right where we shop for a, a church. Now, new churches have this tendency. Um, new churches have a tendency to attract people. And this may be you, because um, I'm sure it's a lot of us. New churches have a tendency to attract people who like small churches. It's just, it's just a reality. I mean, that's just new, that's new churches. People, people are like, I, I, yeah, I went to a large church. And I, I like this small church feel where people actually know me and I'm not just a person in a crowd. New, new churches just have that tendency. People come to new churches and it's like, this is refreshing. It's not like, um, and, and I always, I kind of walk on eggshells a little bit because I don't want to sound like I'm dissing. There's different kinds of different styles of churches. I'm not really dissing any, uh, any church. But people are like, hey, this isn't like the church I grew up in. It's a little bit more lively, has a little bit more, uh, a new, more modern maybe than the church that I grew up in. And I like this. And it's not mega. It's small. It's like, you know, I can know, I know people. People know me. And, and that just seems to be an attractive thing. But there's a, there's a dangerous thing, right? Um, there's a dangerous thing when our preference has power over our purpose, right? When our preference gains power over our purpose, we are on a slippery slope because what we see in the New Testament is that the church was growing and expanding, not just because they wanted to build mega churches, but because they were living obedient to the, the call of Jesus Christ himself when he says, go into all nations and make disciples of, of people and baptize them into Jesus and reach more people. And so we see this early church that was sold out, dedicated, committed to reaching more people. And some people are like, well, my preference is this small little house church, but I realize that if we're living obediently and faithfully, I can't expect that to be around long. Right. And so let, but let, now let me say this, um, um, because this is always the other question, like kind of follow-up question. And so, uh, so is Tri-City's Church trying to become a mega church? Right? That's, that's always the question. So are, so are y'all trying to, do y'all want to be, have a mega church? And, and that's not the goal of Tri-City's Church. I'll, I'll be honest. That's not the goal of Tri-City's Church. And this kind of gets more into um, um, strategy and, and, uh, and, and, and just the way we, we want to do church. I, I think our thing would be like if our church began to grow and outgrow this space, we would uh, maintain this space. And we'd probably split off and start another church uh, somewhere else in another community and see another community just like this one pop up, uh, maybe in Hapeville or in College Park or, and, and see that happen. That, that will probably be uh, more in line with our heart and the vision that we believe that God has given us for the church. But our goal, best believe it, that our goal is to see this church uh, growing because growth here, numerical growth here is a sign um, that our purpose has not been overwhelmed by our preference, right? And we're not sitting back going, I don't want more people to come to my church because I get just the way it is. Um, and so the early church was faithful to God and they saw this extreme growth that was beginning to happen. And as they grew and organized, um, they began to appoint uh, leaders in the church. Um, they called them elders. And these leaders had a much different leadership style than what we see in the biblical world and a much different leadership style than what we see even in our world today. In the biblical world, even more so than our world today, leaders uh, led with power, right? Um, especially with what they saw in the Roman Empire. The emperor was, um, was totally in 
control and he did whatever he he wanted to do and he had power and no one could stop him and so leadership in in biblical time and in our time is this exertion of of power over someone you could even look at like our corporate hierarchy um, with jobs and, and maybe you work at a job where you have to clock in and clock out um, and and maybe if you're late there's certain disciplinary action there's certain power that will be uh, exerted upon you uh, for not doing your job the way that you were. And, and so in our society, we think of leadership as people or leaders as people that have been given power to influence the outcome of certain situations, right? But what Jesus does, does in the church uh, with leadership is different than the world around it. And he turns our, the, our world, our society's leadership model uh, where there's a, a leader at the top, he turns that upside down, right? And, and the leader's now um, at the bottom serving those that he's been or she's been called to lead. And, and so we see stuff like Jesus washing his disciples' feet, right? Now, this is, this is uh, um, uh, God in the flesh, right? The Savior of the world washing his disciples' feet. So we, we see strange things like that beginning to, to play out. And, and I think it was even, wasn't it Peter that said, hey, you're not washing my feet? He, he knew, um, he knew what, what, his, what his feet looked like. Um, and he's like, he's like you're, not, you're not washing my feet, right? That's not, that's not leadership, right? That's not the kind of leader that I'm looking for. But what we see in Jesus is he teaches a different style of leadership where he influences outcomes through servanthood, right? Through serving people, through loving people, through caring for people, for, through taking care of their needs. And when he appoints elders, when the church begins to appoint elders, leaders within the church, in this growing community, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for elders, leaders in the church that will serve people. In fact, if you look at Peter, I bet y'all thought we were never going to get around to Peter. Uh, if you look at Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 5, listen to what it says, because he's, he's talking to the elders, the leaders in the church. Chapter 5, verse 1. Whatever I said was wrong, but what I said that time was right, because <clears throat> my wife says it's right. <clears throat> Whatever she says is right. Uh, so first Peter chapter five, verse one to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. This is Peter writing to the church and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glories to be revealed. Right. Then he says to them in verse two, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, right? So he says, to the elders, to the leaders in the church, right, be shepherds. That's, that's not what we typically think about um, leadership in our society, right? Your, your, um, your, your manager at work isn't trying to be your shepherd. They're not coming in and say, hey, what can I do to help you to make sure that you arrive here on time, right? What can I do to help you to make sure that this is a comfortable setting for you? That, that's, that's not the way leaders typically lead in our society. They're not saying, hey, um, um, 
uh, I, I know you're going through a hard time at, at home with your children. Hey, let, let, I'll show you a little bit of grace, right? Don't, don't worry about coming in next week. Just, just, just take the week off. All right, that's not the way leaders in our society are, are leading. They aren't caring for you out of your need, right? And, and this isn't a diss on them. They're, they're running a business. It's a different kind of leadership. It's a different kind of uh, thing going on. But what Jesus was doing um, was showing us something vastly different that existed within the church, and that is that there were elders that were caring for the well-being of those who were a part of the church. And so there's this leadership structure that we begin to see playing out where the church is making progress, forward movement, under the care of elders who, who are making sure the needs of the church is, the needs of the church are met. Now, now um, appointing elders is an important next step for Tri-Cities Church. Uh, we, we started, uh, almost four years ago now, started weekly, having weekly gatherings, worship gatherings, almost four years. It'll be four years in January, actually. Um, so almost four years ago. And, and when we started, we had a management team. We had a group of, of, um, pastors and leaders in the church who, who weren't a part of our community, um, but were part of other communities that supported us in, in different ways. And so we had this management team that gathered around us and was, kind of like accountability for us and, and advice givers and uh, support, a support group for Tri-Cities Church. And because of um, that group of people in the churches they represent, Tri-Cities Church uh, began. But, but like the early church, what we see is that new churches are started by missionaries who step out and, and believe that God is calling them to start a new church in faith. And then they get to a point where they start, um, where, they, uh, where they appoint internal leadership. And so a next step for Tri-Cities Church is to appoint uh, internal leadership in a way similar to what we see in, in the New Testament. In fact, in Acts, um, Acts chapter 14, verse, verse 21, listen to what it says. This is, um, it says, it's, listen, just listen to what it says. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. Um, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And so these are, uh, this is Paul and, and his, uh, his associates who are with him who are serving as missionaries and they're preaching the gospel. They're seeing people come to belief in Jesus Christ. Um, they, they're encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And it says, they say to them, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They said, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so we hear this, this kind of strange thing happening, right? He's, these people are becoming believers of Jesus Christ. They're putting their faith in him. They're excited about what's happening because, of course, they've heard stories of miracles happening, people being healed, Jesus feeding uh, thousands of people, good things are happening in the church, right? So these people are excited about what God is doing. They put their faith in him, and then Paul says to them, hey, we got to go through hardships as followers of Jesus Christ, right? So um, not, not, not forget what you heard, like all that's true, 
But this also is true, right? All that good stuff is true, right? That God is with you, that God heals you, God delivers you, God can work uh, a situation out in a way um, that is beneficial to you even. Like all that, all that is true, but this also is true. There, there may be a situation that doesn't work out the way that you've been praying and fasting and believing God that it will work out that way. Or maybe um, a, a hardship comes upon you unlike anything you imagine. It, and that also is, is true. And so what he does in response to saying that, right, that that's true, that hardship does come. We've got to go through many hardships. He appoints for them elders, right? He appoints elders in the church. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in the church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, right? And so he, he knew that they would need this leadership structure in place in order for the church to continue through the church, when I say church, not building, but the people who make up the church to continue in their faith through hardship and trial and opposition and just, I just and you know, and, and the just, I, I don't want to, right? That, that the leadership was there for that purpose. And so we, we see that the early church was appointing leaders. And, and even, in fact, Peter, what he does in First Peter is he lists out qualities that make, out, um, 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 that make a good elder. So if you look back in Peter uh, chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, listen to what it says. He says to the, to the elders, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, right? These are um, kind of qualities of, of, of an elder, this, this pure motive that he wants to see out of leadership in the church. Um, not pursuing dishonest gain, right? Not, not because you have some, some um, either street cred or, or money to make or what, whatever it is that comes from being an elder. I'm not, I'm not sure what that dishonest gain is. Um, um, but eager to serve, right? Because you're eager to serve the church in this way. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. So not using it in the world as the world uses power, not lording it over because you, you, you know, you, you're part of this church and you just kind of want to tell some people what to do, right? That's not, that's not, that's not what you're signing up for, I think, is what Peter's saying here. Is that you're not, you're not going to be telling people what, what to do and lording your power o- over people. And then he says, and when the, um, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade. So he's, he's, um, he, he's showing them that, that it's not about power, it's, it's not about gain, but it's about humility, right? And, and so in the church, they're appointing these leaders who are humble and wanting to serve what God is doing to progress the work of God. Through the church, and let me just let me just say this: um, there is work that God is doing through the church, and it is more significant than we could ever imagine. And although it may seem like, and although it may seem like, and I'm about to get a little bit off track, but I'm not really getting off track because I'm making an intention to get off track, so it's not really, you know. Um, and, and although it may seem like it's just another church event, right? And although it may seem like it's just another fun thing for us to do or a good thing for us to do, um, what we are doing, um, 
At at Tri-Cities Church, I'll make it specific and and localized, at Tri-Cities Church is progressing the work and mission of God in our community, even the small things. And so when we say things like, um, when we say things like, hey, we need need people to serve on teams in in the church so that we can get things moving here, right? We got to take those teams seriously because although it may seem like I'm just pushing a vacuum cleaner to clean the floor, what I'm doing is actually progressing the mission of God in our community because when this building is clean, uh, it's just the way it works in our society. If people come in and they don't know anything about Jesus, they're like, these people are nasty, right? I'm not, Jesus followers are nasty. I don't want to be a Jesus follower. That's just the way it'll happen. I'm just being honest. People are like, ah, you know, my mom taught me better. Um, so, uh, so if, if we're doing, or if we're doing city groups, we're going to roll out city groups again, coming up here, uh, beginning again in September. And, and, um, and you can, you'll hear about it in the announcements and you can sign up for one. You can contact Jamie for if you want to be a part of a city group with your small groups that help you to grow in your faith. We're not just like um, city groups, all the extroverts like jump together in a group so you can talk to each other, right? And like each other and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And, and some city groups do food. Um, and I've, been in, I've been in some where, uh, it, yeah, I mean, the food is pretty dynamic. Uh, and so it's like, if I don't get anything about Jesus, I got <laughs> some lasagna or something like that. Um, uh, and, 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 and like what we're doing is actually progressing the mission of God. This past Wednesday, we had our prayer night here at the church. And, and I must say, I was, I, I walked away from that disappointed because our attendance was so poor at that. Right. And we had, um, I think we had four principals from schools in our community that showed up in either the first or second week of, of their, um, of the school year where if anybody's ever been, uh, worked in a school or seen a principal, knows a principal, can imagine what a principal goes through dealing with, uh, hundreds of kids, right? That's just a challenging task. And these principals took time out of their schedule to show up at Tri-City Church because they believed that there was a community here that was willing to pray for them. And they knew that they needed God more than anything else to make it through this school year. And and they showed up and, and we didn't show up, right? And what God was doing through Tri-City Church, through things like a prayer night, is he's progressing his mission into our community. And we have to, as a church, we, we have to show uh, I, don't, I don't even remember where I got off on that tangent from, but I'm there. Now, now I'm back. What, what the leadership in the church is, 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 is charged with doing is shepherding us as a church. Um, yeah, let's, let's just tie it back in. It's shepherding us as a church so that we show up in every area of our life. Right? So we show up for Jesus at work, right? So we show up for Jesus at, in our homes. So we show up for Jesus in, in our church community when we're progressing the mission of God in our world. So this morning, we're, we're actually going to, in the middle of the sermon right now, we're actually going to um, ordain uh, two guys to be elders at Tri-Cities Church. Now, um, and let me just say a word about ordination, because here's what, what we see happening in the New Testament and also in the church today. If you've been a part of the church, you may have seen uh, ministers ordained into ministry, or you may have seen elders ordained or deacons ordained. You've seen these ordination services. And oftentimes what they end up doing is they create this mental divide in our minds that separates those who've been called to ministry from those who haven't been called to ministry. 
Now, ordination simply means to set aside for a specific purpose. And so when we ordain people in the church, we are setting them aside for a specific purpose. Now, what's often um, uh, overlooked is that when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, right? When you were baptized, that was your ordination. Right? When you are baptized into Jesus Christ, you are set aside for ministry. So there's no such thing in the church as this separation between those who've been called, who stand on the stage and speak, right? And those who haven't been called, who uh, will never stand on the stage and speak, right? There's just no separation there. God has called us all to ministry. And our baptism is our ordination. We were set aside for the work of God that we must engage with our all. Now, this morning we are ordaining um, as elders of Tri-Cities Church, Adam Stovall and and Cedric Phillips. Um, Yeah. They um, They have read 1 Peter chapter 5. And um, the, the pure motive and heart that God is calling from, from leaders in the church, where, where he says in verse, verse 3, where he says, um, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. They've, they've read that. And we've also looked at the, the passage in, in Titus. There's a scripture in, in um, Titus chapter uh, chapter chapter. One verse five, uh, where it says this. Uh, it says um, this is this is uh, Paul writing to to Titus. Listen to what it says. It says the reason I left you in Crete was that you might that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he lists out these qualities that make up a good elder in verse, starting in verse six. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to charge of being wild and disobedient. All right, all right. Since uh, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not giving to drunkenness, not violent, and pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And so we see here Paul's laying out these qualities that make up a good elder. And so this morning, Adam and and Cedric represent uh, guys in our community that we are appointing as elders here at Tri-Cities Church to be leaders who shepherd, right, lead through serving our our community. And so let me just, uh, I think we have pictures of of Adam and and Seb, but uh, so Adam, some of you, some of you know Adam, he's he's right here. Uh, He'll he'll come up here in just a moment, but that's Adam and and, uh, and his nine kids and part of his adopted family, right? Uh, The Stovalls will adopt you into their family. Now, Now, they got nine kids, so uh, y- y'all do the math financially. Um, 
I've always said, whenever I know like rich people, I've always said, I want them to adopt me. Even though I'm an adult, adopt me so I can be part of the inheritance. Um, but they will adopt you into to, um, their family, and they will love you. And that love, I guarantee you, from, from the Stovall family will be worth more than any uh, financial inheritance that you can ever get. Now, the Stovalls have been with Tri-Cities Church. Um, uh, their first time visiting Tri-Cities Church, I remember, uh, was a Sunday that we announced that we were moving into this building from Hapeville Elementary School. And I remember it was just such a classic moment because they show up at Tri-Cities Church in Hapeville Elementary School, and they lived like three doors up the street. And so here you get like on Sunday morning, the Stovall school marching uh, to Tri-Cities Church in line with each other, all 11 of them, kind of walking up the sidewalk to Tri-Cities Church. And so they've been with us for a long time, Adam uh, and Jamie, his wife. They both uh, served downstairs with our City Kids Ministry and have been serving uh, with their whole heart ever since tri- since they started coming to Tri-Cities Church, almost at the beginning of our church. Um, they love our, our, our church. They love Tri-Cities Church. They're committed to Tri-Cities Church. Their whole family is committed to serving here. Uh, and they have decided to give their, um, give their lives in this way to Jesus Christ by serving Tri-Cities Church. And then uh, Cedric Phillips. Cedric uh, um, and Ashley, his wife, and, and their kids, they, um, they, they have been a part of Tri-Cities Church since before I was a part of Tri-Cities Church, actually. Um, I was actually uh, uh, living in, in Jersey, and I called Cedric, and I said, hey, I hear, I met this guy by the name of Jamie who said, we're starting a church. And, uh, and I had not moved back to, um, to, to Georgia yet, and, um, and uh, Cedric and Ashley and their family, they were on board uh, from day one when it was just a small group that was probably still meeting in Jamie's living room uh, when, when our church was in, that was what? Four and a half years ago, uh, meeting meeting in a living room, and uh, and they've been on board since that. You would have seen Cedric; he was standing here this morning uh, with the pink, uh, sorry, salmon shirt on, and uh, and he sings on the worship team uh, and is willing to serve in whatever uh, capacity uh, that we need him at Tri Cities Church, and we're just so grateful to have. Uh, their families here as a part of our, our church. So Adam and Cedric and Jamie, would you, you all come up here? And we, we just want to, um, we I got some questions for Adam and Cedric, just quick, simple questions, because we've been uh, for, I guess, a year now, we've been gathering with these guys, and we've been studying the scriptures, and we read a book. Uh, we read this book that was called, um, um, I think it's called, They Smell Like Sheep, um, because elders are shepherds, right? And so if they're um, shepherds, then we, the church, smell like sheep. And if they're, like, working with, you know, y'all get it. Um, and so we, we read that book, and we've been doing different, different things with these guys. Uh, and it's, it's just been a blast to see them uh, and their commitment to the Lord. So I have, uh, I have a, a few questions uh, for you. Uh, the first one is, uh, Adam and Cedric, do you uh, agree to serve Tri-Cities Church uh, with pure motives and a wholehearted commitment, uh, the one that Peter calls elders to. Yes. All right. Two, uh, do you agree to serve Tri-Cities Church by modeling the qualities Paul lists in Titus 1 with seriousness and integrity? Yes. All right. Number three, uh, do you agree to serve Tri-Cities Church with humility? Yes. All right. And then as a sign of that, would you guys please uh, kneel uh, here? Uh, and, uh, and we will share in a moment of prayer with you. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks um, 
for Adam Stovall and Cedric Phillips. A long time ago, um, they gave their lives to you. And they pledged their commitment to you. Through stating their belief publicly and being willing to live it, live it out. Through being baptized into you and becoming a part of the church. For giving their lives to the church and the people that would make it up. God, we give you thanks for them that they have chosen to be committed in this way to the way of the Lord. And God, I thank you that they eagerly desire to be leaders in the church, not because of dishonest gain, not because of some power trip and wanting to lord over power over somebody, but because they want to see your mission progress in our community right here and, and right now. And they are eager for that. They deeply desire that. And so, God, I thank you for this heart that you've planted in these guys for your church and this belief that you've given them for your mission and the work specifically of Tri-Cities Church. And so, God, I pray that you give them courage, that you give them boldness, that you give them discernment. God, that you help them to know the way that you are calling us as a church to go, that they may lead our church, shepherd our church, in that way that we might fully be and become what you are calling us as a church to be. God, I pray that your blessings will be upon them and their families. God, that you will keep them safe, that you will protect them, that you will give them strength to engage their first ministry, which is their family. So that in, in uh, loving their family and working towards wholeness in their families, God, that that will overflow into their ministry right here in their church and that their church will see good examples of families, of men that stand up for Jesus when it's difficult and challenging, but are willing to continue to stand because they're standing because of something they believe in. Namely, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves us from our sins and frees us for all of life ahead. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And Father God, we continue to pray. Um, we, we thank you, God, that you are the good shepherd. We thank you, God, that as the shepherd, you tenderly and lovingly lead your flock. And that, God, these guys up here are not left without the perfect example of Jesus. And we just thank you that um, for this great day at, in Tri-Cities Church life, thank you so much that um, as we see these guys on their knees and in front of this group of people, God, that it represents humility, it represents a willingness to serve. And God, we take that example, and, and God, we ask, Lord, that um, that example be used in all of our lives and that we walk away from here knowing um, that you have ordained us all to serve. You've ordained us all to love. You've ordained us all to, to lead someone else. And so, again, we thank you for these men. We thank you for their families. We thank you for their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Man hugs, man hugs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this... This is, a, uh, this is an important day in the life of Tri-Cities Church. And, and if you didn't pick this up by now, 
Um, uh, we as a new church have an opportunity to shape a, um, a culture, if you will, that, that will be a part of our church for a long time. And, and what we wanted to do with, with elders and leadership is to say, to go back to the scriptures and see what God was calling them to be. And what we see very clearly is that leadership in the church isn't about control, but it's about care. It's about people that are willing to care for the community of, of believers. And, and um, whenever we see that, um, that leadership becomes about control, there's something odd that happens in churches or wherever you are, uh, organizations or, or even at the workplace. Right? When, when, when it becomes about control, um, leadership, that, that badge comes with a thing that says, I'm the one that you complain to. Right. If you don't like if you don't like the color we paint the hallway, who do you go to? You know, the leaders, the people that are in charge. If you don't like the carpet or the way things are done around here, you go to the, the leaders who you know to complain about. But but when when leadership is less about control and, and it's more about compare, c- c- com- compare, care. What was I saying? When it's more about care, control and more about care. Here, here's what happens. Right. We, we begin to overwhelm our leaders, um, not with our complaints, but with our concerns, spiritual concerns, right? With things that, that we need them to be praying with us about, right? With, with voids in our life, with decisions to follow Jesus and take next steps in him. Is, is so like, um, so yeah, I mean, our, our ambition, our goal here isn't to overwhelm Adam and, and Cedric with complaints, right? This isn't saying, hey, now you know who to complain to. You don't like things. You don't want to go to Wesley and complain to him. Now you got, you got a sounding board to complain to. But we're saying, hey, overwhelm these guys, right? Burden them. Trust them with your prayers, right? Trust them with your spiritual concerns. Trust them with the questions you have about Jesus Christ and your church and taking next steps in Jesus Christ, because this, this is what God is going to strengthen them for. This is what, by God's strength, they are going to be able to do. So, Peter takes this almost strange turn in, in this chapter, and he transitions from leadership in the church, from elders to humility. And he teaches the church this morning to be humble, right? In response to leadership in the church, to be humble. Listen to what, what he says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 5. It says, in, this, uh, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Uh, apparently, and I, and I love this, um, uh, let, me, let me tell a story real quick. There's a, there's a guy um, um, that when we moved into this building, we saw this guy that would, would drive circles through this parking lot occasionally. He was just in this big truck, this really old guy, all, total white, white hair, and um, I, I, you know, I don't know how old he is, but would drive circles through this parking lot. And uh, one day we were out in the parking lot and we saw this guy and we stopped and had a conversation with him. Turns out he was one of the uh, founding members of this church, right? When it was Westside Christian Church, this building, it used to be the home for Westside Christian Church. It started in 1964 and uh, he was part of, they met at Headland High School, which is no longer in existence, um, before uh, building this building. And he was here with them when they were still at Headland. And, um, and he still to this day drives to this parking lot and prays for this church. And he stopped one day and he began telling 
telling us this story. He said, I just want to see the building. He just wanted to walk through the building. He hadn't been in here in years. And wanted to walk through the building and start. And he's told us this story several times about how eagerly he desired to be a leader in the church, right? How eager. He was a young guy at the time. How desperately he desired to be a leader at the church. And he says, I would do anything to be a leader at the church. And this is what we're seeing uh, in in the early church beginning to play out when it says, humble yourselves, therefore. Uh, No, no, no. Where was I reading? Verse five. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Because there were some people in the church that so eagerly desired that. They're saying, no, that should have been me. That should have been me. Right. But this guy, he humbly submitted himself at, at the church. And now here he is continuing a legacy of that church from years ago, praying for and believing in what God is doing here. It's a powerful thing what happens when when humility begins to take over your life. Then it says, all of you clothe yourself, that's the whole church, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You see, what Peter is showing us in this passage is that the church It's the community that God uses to make us more like Christ. And it only works as we humble ourselves within that community. In fact, that verse right there is one of the more terrifying verses in the Bible to me. God opposes the proud. Um, I don't know exactly what, what all that means and what all that means, God. The, the image I have of opposing, and maybe this is an odd image, um, but coming up on uh, football season, the image I have is of clashing of heads like on a football field, right? That God opposes the proud. And so we can uh, persevere in our own way and continue to do things the way that we have decided is best or the way that we've planned. And if we're prideful in that way, that God opposes the proud and it becomes like beating our heads against a brick wall. Because you see what God has chosen to do in the church uh, is to help people become more like Christ. And as long as we're prideful, right? There is nothing that hinders God's work through the church in our lives like pride. Because pride is this callous determination that my way is best. And we refuse to trust the community that God has placed in our lives to help us to see God's way forward. It's it's this ideal of, um, um, I, I, I don't, I don't have one of those cars, but there's some cars that, uh, you know, like, uh, there's people that are like in your blind spot sometimes I, I have on a number of occasions and that's one of the most more terrifying things in the world. It's like when you're driving and you start to shift lanes and you realize somebody's right there, like hiding in your blind spot. They have these cars now that like, if somebody's in your blind spot and you turn on your blinker, like some kind of light in the mirror flashes to let you know that somebody's in your blind spot. It's pretty cool technology. Um, That's the church, right? There are things hiding in our blind spots in life. And here's the deal. We can say, my way, I'm doing things my way. This is how I plan. This is the way my life is supposed to go. These are the decisions I'm supposed to make. This is what feels most comfortable for me. This is what my friends are doing. This is how I think my life should be playing out. And we can pursue that and persevere in that direction with things hiding in our blind spot all the while, not knowing that our life is headed for danger. And it's only humility that allows us to exist within the church 
and do life with people who are able to see the things that are hiding in our blind spots. And so that may be the elders of your church who say, hey, maybe uh, maybe you need to take some time and step back, right, and get a breather, reassess some things. Or elders at your church that are willing to pray for you and encourage you to reconsider the way that you've chosen, the direction you've chosen to go in your life or decisions you've chosen to make in your marriage, right? Maybe that's what's going to happen, right? And humility is the only thing that allows us to see what's, um, to, to be a part of a church that's able to see what's in our blind spots. And here's what pride does, and we're going to close right, right here, is pride erects a wall that prevents us from trusting God every time. Listen to what Peter says in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, right? So humble yourself under God's mighty hand. It's a metaphor for God's proven trustworthiness in the Old Testament. God did things by the power of his mighty hand. It can be trusted. God can be trusted. And he says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. And so as you humble yourself, that wall that we've erected that separates us from God, it begins to crumble. And then there's this powerful thing in verse 7 that, that Peter challenges us to do. And this is only able to do, we're only able to do this as we embrace humility and choose to work towards living more humble lives. Verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now here was, here's what happens. I'm closing right here. Um, when we live prideful lives, there's a wall that's built so tall that we're having to step back and like throw things over that wall. We're not casting our anxieties on him, right? We're having to, with all of our might, try to throw. And we can't figure out why that anxiety still exists, why that worry still exists, why God's not lifting my burdens. And it's because we have unchecked pride in our lives. We have to humble ourselves and say, God, you know what's best in my life. You know what's, and and I'm trusting your mighty hand. And as that faith grows in us, and as the wall that pride has built corrodes and crumbles and falls, we are able to um, show one of the, the clearest signs of spiritual maturity. Trouble arises. We're able to cast it on the Lord and trust him with it. And move forward in a different way, not overwhelmed by anxiety. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this chance to gather here in this place and to study this important passage of Scripture, God. And God, I pray more than anything that you help us to be a church that's humble. A church that's able to live with one another. That we're able to see the blind spots in each other's lives. In a church that's not afraid to speak into somebody else's life. Because we know that that person is walking with humility. And will take what we have to say in a positive way. A church where elders are able to lead. Because they're not worried about people getting offended by their leadership. Because they know that that person's walking in humility. 
God, please humble us. God, please, please help us to make the choice to live in humility so that we don't have to know the feeling of being humbled before almighty and powerful God. We don't want to be opposed by an almighty and powerful God. Rather, we want to rest securely under the power of your might, the protection of your hand. That's where we want to be, God. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.